who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy. Written and produced by Travis Heerman. Voice talent by Danielle McCarville and Zeus Legion. For more information, please visit TravisHerman.com. This novel contains violence and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 18. I sit at my desk. What can I write to you? Sick with love, I long to see you in the flesh. I can write only, I love you, I love you, I love you. Love cuts through my heart and tears my vitals. Spasms of longing suffocate me and will not stop. The Love Poems of Marichiko Kanishi sat alone in a small room, a single lamp casting huge shadows on the latticed rice-paper walls. The people of the household muttered and shuffled around him with fleeting shadows on the walls. Captain Sakamoto had ushered him in here and told him to wait. Someone would come for him soon enough. Akao had disappeared into the village to search for food. All the armed men and throngs of people around the manor house made him uneasy. When they parted, Akao gave him a long, mournful look. Beware, Kanishi. Danger, waiting here. Kanishi's belly swirled with unexpected misgivings. He did not like leaving his friend alone in a town full of strangers. A great commotion erupted at the return of the Lord's daughter. The house servants rushed out and gathered up Kazuko and Hatsumi and bundled them into the house almost before he could blink, and the uproar receded like a storm into the depths of the house. The manor house was a beautiful structure, tall and stately, its white plaster walls reaching up three stories to grasp the rays of the dying sunlight, the flaring, tiled roofs bathed in a deep crimson, 
built into the slope of a small mountain above the valley floor. A single narrow road led up the mountainside. There was no palisade or other fortification to protect against attack. The manor was a complex of buildings, with stables and barracks and servants' quarters that were camouflaged by the rocky, forested slope. From this vantage point, the entire valley spread out below him, disappearing in the hazy blue distance, the patchwork of green darkening with the coming of night, the falling sun raising the shadows on the mountainsides. Captain Sakamoto had led Kenishi into the house and placed him in an empty room near the entrance where guests customarily waited. With a twinge of discomfort at leaving Silver Crane, he allowed the servant to take it from him and place it reverently in the rack for guests' weapons near the entrance. The servant also took his bow and pack, leaving him feeling naked and vulnerable. As he sat in the empty silence, he wished for his flute, but it was in his pack. Music fluttered in his chest like a nightingale, yearning for release upon the spirits of the air. He imagined Kazuko speaking with her father. Kanishi knew that she would speak well of him, and he hoped with all his being that Lord Nishimuta would heed her words. Father, I am home, Kazuko said as she shuffled into his chamber. Lord Nishimuta Nojiro looked up from the scrolls on his desk, and his dark eyes widened with pleasure. Her father was a large man, whose once powerful thews had softened with the luxury of his life. His graying hair was perfectly cut and styled as always, his robes glimmering with the opulence of fine red silk and gold embroidery. He was dressed finer than was his custom, and she wondered why for a moment. He preferred simple samurai kusode and trousers, perhaps imagining himself still the young warrior who had once seized these lands from his older brothers. A smile twitched at the corner of his lips, so she knew that he was indeed pleased to see her. The relief was evident in his voice. Ah, my dear, it is good that you are home. I was worried. I am sorry to worry you so, father, but I have such an exciting tale to tell. She knelt politely across the desk from him, folding her hands in her lap. Exciting, eh? His voice took on the tone that it always did when he was humoring her. Her tale of the bandit attack, and the oni, and Kanishi, and the long walk home tumbled out of her in a breathless rush. She could hardly speak fast enough. As she did, she saw glimpses of emotion flickering across her father's almost immobile features. Surprise, disbelief, anger, sorrow, relief, amusement. He listened to her quietly, with no need to spur her on. The more she spoke, the more penetrating his scrutiny became. She felt it boring into her. When she finished, he asked her, And where is this Ronin now? I'm sure he is waiting to meet you. He is ever so strong. He is an interesting man. He wishes for a worthy master, father. There are none more worthy than you. Her father laughed. 
there is no need to flatter me, my dear. If he can kill an oni, he is certainly a man worth some consideration. Thank you, father. I am so sure he will serve you well. But tell me, why are you so dressed up today? Her father leaned back on his heels and rested his palms on his thighs. We have a guest coming today. A man from Lord Tsunetomo's court. Really? Why? Who is it? I met many people there. Before. And how was the cherry blossom viewing, my dear? Oh, it was wonderful. And how did you find Lord Tsunetomo? Was he a gracious host? Oh, yes, father. He is a very kind man. A very strong man. I am glad to hear you say it. Now, be a good girl and send Hatsumi to my meeting hall. I need to speak with her. Of course, father. Kazuko smiled, but she still felt a twinge of distress at being so quickly dismissed after her long ordeal. Lord Nishimuta sat on the dais in his meeting hall. His deep-set dark eyes gazed down on Hatsumi with an inscrutable glitter. She swallowed hard, feeling a sick blackness swirling in her belly like tar. She clenched her hands in her lap to keep them from shaking and shifted uncomfortably at the sharp ache in her nether region. So, Hatsumi, what do you wish to speak to me about? His broad mouth bore a concerned expression. What was so important that could not wait? Hatsumi prostrated herself. Thank you for allowing me to speak, my lord. As she straightened into a sitting position, she allowed a bit of worry to slip into her voice. It is about Kazuko. Lord Nishimura's face lit up at the mention of his daughter, then darkened again as he said, What is it? She is fine, is she not? She has spoken to you about the ronin, yes? Yes, she has. I am going to speak to him later this evening. Hatsumi took a deep breath. My lord, I wish to give you another view of this man before you speak to him yourself. Go on, then. My lord, the ronin is a strong man, tough, and a skilled warrior. That must be true for him to have defeated the Oni. A chill skittered down Hatsumi's spine. Dim flashes of memory sent all other thoughts spinning into oblivion. The blunt explosions of pain as the creature's fists pummeled her into the bushes. Something tearing at her clothing. Either branches or claws. The creature's obscene laughter the tremendous weight upon her crushing her into the carpet of dead leaves like the weight of a downed bullock, the splitting, stabbing agony as its huge, blunt organ tore into her womb, the hideous, horned face and feral yellow eyes only inches from hers, foul spittle dripping into her mouth, vile breath in her face suffocating her, the final, merciful blackness. Lord Nishimuto's voice jerked her awareness back to the moment. Isn't that true, Hatsumi? The tone of his voice made her wonder how long she had drifted away. He was not a man who allowed underlings to waste his time. She said, 
Yes, that's true, my lord. But, my lord, he is a ronin. He has no family. A ronin by unfortunate circumstance of birth, not by choice or failure. I don't believe that to be an unfavorable mark against a man. There are many great warriors who came from humble beginnings. My lord, he is not merely a penniless ronin, but an uncouth ruffian. Have you seen him? No. My lord, I cannot imagine anyone with worse manners and bearing. His manners are worse than a peasant's. Lord Nishimoto grunted, Another unfortunate circumstance of his upbringing. No fault of his own. Besides, with time, he could learn what manners he needs. My lord, he is a mean, cruel man. He almost killed a diseased beggar. He didn't like the beggar's smell. What of that? Killing one of the unclean is no crime. Doubtless, this beggar frightened my daughter. She mentioned this beggar. His actions must have been in her defense. This shows great loyalty and proper vigilance, unusual in a man with no proper education. My lord, we do not know the truth about his upbringing. Did Kazuko speak of that? No, she didn't. He told us a tale of how he was raised. I don't believe it, because it makes him either a liar or a madman. Lord Nishimoto's eyes narrowed. My lord, he claims to have been raised by a Tengu. His eyes widened. A Tengu? His words tumbled into a brief chuckle. That would be quite a tale indeed. My lord, no one that I know has ever seen a Tengu, nor have I ever heard of anyone seeing one. They are creatures from stories. Lord Nishimura laughed again. Ah, Hatsumi, I have never seen my ancestors either, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. I have never seen a Kappa, or an Oni, or the Buddha himself, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. Evidence of their presence is all around us, but we cannot see them. Perhaps his tale is true. Perhaps it is just a tale. Telling a tale doesn't make him a madman. I will size him up when I speak to him. His tone indicated this conversation was nearly over. Hatsumi took another deep breath. My lord, there is one other thing you must know. She paused for a moment, gathering her courage. If Kazuko ever found out she had spoken of this, the girl would never forgive her. She lowered her voice almost to a whisper. He is in love with your daughter. She glanced at Lord Nishimuta's face. His left eyelid began to twitch, and the pleasant mood disappeared from his face like the blue sky behind a gathering typhoon. But somehow, surprise was not present. His voice hardened along with his face. Have they been alone together? No, my lord, never. Nevertheless, my lord, if I may be so bold, she reads too many pillow books. She is not as worldly as you and I. I would never question her honor or loyalty, but her sense of duty is stronger toward her own desires, not toward the family. May I be forgiven for saying so, but 
Kazuko is in love with the Ronin too. My lord, from her own lips she confided in me her feelings for him. Enough. Hatsumi prostrated herself again, quivering. She feared death, but if her death meant that the filthy Ronin would not sully the body of her precious Kazuko, then her death would be welcome. He appeared to relax just a bit, like a stone block in a castle wall settling into place. I have already made my plans for him, and this changes nothing. Hatsumi's mouth fell open in shock. Lord Nishimuta ignored her reaction. She studied his face, trying to glean some indication of his thoughts, but it was like trying to read the face of a stone block. His piercing gaze speared her to the planks of the floor, and his voice was slow and cold. Hatsumi, listen well. You will never speak of this again. Never. Do you understand? She gulped and bowed. Understood. Someone softly approached in the hallway outside his room. A woman's silhouette appeared on the rice paper, knelt outside the door, and said, Excuse me, sir. I have a gift for you from Lord Nishimuta. Please accept his gratitude. May I come in? Yes. The door slid open, and the servant woman bowed to him, lifting forward a bundle wrapped in bright blue cloth, tied with a yellow string. He turned on his knees and took the bundle in both hands, bowing as he did so. He said, Please, send your master my sincere thanks. You are invited to dinner this evening in honor of his daughter's safe return. Dinner is in one hour. Do you desire a bath? A bath would be good. Then may I take you there? Please. She took him to the bathhouse, a small building separated from the manor house. The water was warm and comfortable, and the wooden bathtub was huge, wide enough for him to stretch his legs, and deep enough that the water came up to his neck. Bathing in warm water was still a novelty. Until the priest's house, he had only cleaned himself in cold rivers and icy streams. As he soaked in the warm water, images of Kazuko filled his mind. After he climbed out of the bath, he slipped into a clean robe left for him inside the door and found the servant woman waiting outside to escort him back to his room. Upon returning to his room, he unwrapped the package the servant had brought him. Inside, he found crisp black trousers, a long black sash, and a deep blue robe made of fine, soft silk. He gasped at the richness of this garment. He would look like a proper gentleman wearing these clothes. Another shiver of excitement rippled through him. When the hour came for him to be summoned to dinner, he was well-dressed, a fine, handsome figure. He stood straighter, his step surer than if he had been dressed in his old rags. His breast filled with pride. But even so, when he entered the hall where the meal was served, the sight of so many noble eyes upon him left a queer fluttering in his belly, like a fresh-killed game fowl spitted on an arrow. 
Lord Nishimuta sat on the raised dais at the far end of the room, with a vision of pure loveliness seated beside him. Kazuko's garments were fresh and beautiful. Her hair was combed and styled, her face lightly powdered, her lovely lips rouged. About a dozen other people sat in two facing rows stretching away from the platform. Captain Sakamoto sat on the floor nearest to the Lord's right hand. His gaze was hard but curious as he regarded Kanishi, as if he was waiting for something momentous to happen. Hatsumi was absent. He wondered if that was because she was only a servant. So many subtleties, so many unknowns in the society of people. He felt even more unarmed and helpless than ever, like a fish trying to walk on land. He tripped over the door jam as he stepped into the room, causing a polite stir of amusement among those gathered. Nevertheless, he knelt and prostrated himself before the Lord's household, introducing himself as he did so. Lord Nishimuta's voice was deep and commanding. Kanishi, I am Nishimuta Nojiro. I am pleased to have you as a guest in my house. He gestured toward an empty place at the end of one of the lines, farther away from the platform. I am honored to be your guest, Nishimuta-sama. Kanishi bowed again, lower, and then took his place. His place was located next to a plump, stuffy-looking man with ink-stained fingers who kept glancing at Kanishi surreptitiously. His bearing suggested varying degrees of curiosity and distrust. Honored guests, Lord Nishimuta said, this is the man who saved my daughter's life, rescuing her from the clutches of a terrible oni and his criminal cohorts. Let us all drink to his honor and prowess. He raised his sake bowl. The others did the same, and they all drank together. Kanishi's ears burned again, and he squirmed. He did not like being on display. Lord Nishimuta continued, we have another most honorable guest tonight. He gestured toward the waspish man, thin, bookish, and sour-looking who sat opposite Captain Sakamoto. The thin man bowed in return. Kanishi could hardly see this other visitor from where he sat because of several people interposing. This is Otomo no Yasutoki, Chamberlain to Lord Otomo no Tsunetomo. Yasutoki said, It is the greatest honor to be a guest in the house of Lord Nishimuta. May this be the first of many cordial meetings between our two houses. The servants brought trays of food to the guests. Before Kanishi moved a muscle, he watched the people near him, observed how they behaved, how they ate, how they held their bowls, how they moved. The effort at controlling his perpetual hunger in the face of so much food was difficult. No one laughed at him, or looked at him with scorn or derision, so he considered that he must have succeeded in his efforts to appear respectable. Throughout dinner, Kanishi stole surreptitious glances at Kazuko. Once he caught her eye, and he smiled at her. She quickly suppressed her own smile in return, but could not hide the faint blush in her cheeks. 
the warmth of affection in his belly stirred, the promise of a shared secret. When the meal was over, he was certain that he had never eaten so well in his entire life. His belly was full, and his head was swimming from the potent sake. Kinishi, Lord Nishimuta called. You have been remarkably silent for an honored guest. Please, regale us all with the tale of how you slew the Oni. Kanishi nearly wilted. My lord, I'm not a storyteller. There's not much to tell. Come now, I won't have no for an answer. To hear my daughter speak of it, one would believe it to be the stuff of legends. Kanishi blushed and proceeded hesitantly. Very well. I don't have the words of a poet. I can only speak plainly. He took a deep breath and squared his shoulders. Then plainly it is. Let us not put a robe on a pig. The guests tittered. Kanishi swallowed hard, trying to decide whether the Lord's statement was meant as an insult. Then he began his tale, slow and halting at first from his care not to use words the listeners might consider vulgar or unseemly. But as he drew further into the tale, he found that it took on a life of its own. He tried to note the reaction of Lord Nishimuta and his guests, but their faces were inscrutable. Even as he spoke, he thought the whole story sounded unbelievable. However, he had been there, and he remembered it with perfect clarity. As he spoke, he noticed that the feeling of unease had returned stronger than ever. Danger was near. But how could that be in a place like this? Then he noticed the man named Yasutoki watching him. His gaze was as sharp and penetrating as the point of a spear. The man had a lithe grace about him that he tried to conceal, but Kanishi noted it well. Kanishi also noted the glint of something else in the man's eyes. It was as if Yasutoki knew him but Kanishi was certain he had never met Yasutoki before. Yasutoki noticed that Kanishi had observed him, and all expression and interest left his eyes like an extinguished flame. The hairs rose on the back of Kanishi's neck. He must beware of that man. He ended his tale with a recount of the journey to Lord Nishimuta's estate. Well told, Kanishi, well told. You do not have the words of a poet, but you have the heart of a tiger. I could not have defeated the demon without Kazuko's help. Lord Nishimuta must be a great warrior to have taught her so well. Lord Nishimuta laughed. And you do have the tongue of a courtier. Yes, my daughter is quite skilled with the Naginata. It is a traditional weapon in my family, and alas... I lack the sons to teach it to. Thank you for the tale, Kanishi. I now have a tale of my own, an announcement to be precise. The dinner guest's attention now focused on Lord Nishimuta. Lord Nishimuta continued, The visit of the honored Yasutoki is not merely one of pleasure, but of auspicious news. He brings us welcome news indeed. Yasutoki said, Nishimuta-sama is a gracious host and a worthy friend to my lord Otomo no Tsunetomo.
His voice was smooth as oil, and he spoke with deep, measured tones. Lord Nishimuta said, It is my honor and pleasure to announce a new alliance between the houses of Nishimuta and Otomo. Our two houses are like stones in the same castle wall, side by side, as firm as the earth itself, an alliance that will form an anchor of power in this land, and my beautiful daughter will form the mortar between those two stones. I have offered her in marriage to Lord Tsunetomo, and he has accepted. Lord Nishimuta's smile was broad and beaming. The dinner guests clapped in pleasure and nodded their appreciation at the good news. The rest of the evening's conversation dissolved into a muffled buzzing in Kanishi's ears, like a hornet's nest covered with a blanket, and his belly felt as if someone had just kicked him. He could not help staring at Lord Nishimuta. The older man's dark eyes flicked toward Kanishi just for an instant, and in that instant, Kanishi read the full knowledge of Lord Nishimuta's words. The Lord's eyes were not spiteful or vicious, but they were resolved. A poor, masterless ronin warrior would never have his daughter, not even for an instant. The idea was ludicrous. Kanishi noticed that his hands quivered in his lap like wind-blown grass. The dinner guests expressed their congratulations to Lord Nishimuta while Kazuko sat as silent as stone beside him. Her gaze was fixed and unmoving on the floor in front of her, and she looked pale. Sake bowls were raised and drained to celebrate Lord Nishimuta's good fortune. Kanishi's mind raced and his heart thundered. Why did she not say anything? Why did she not protest? But he already knew the answer. She did not dare. The quivering in his belly began to congeal into a gobbet of molten lead. He wanted to leap to his feet and run, to flee this castle, this betrayal, and never look back. But he could not. Insulting Lord Nishimuta with unseemly behavior might cost Kanishi his life. So he just sat quietly, trying to breathe, struggling not to explode like a toad hit with a hammer. Mercifully, Dinner was over soon after that, and Kanishi retired to his room. He felt numb, as if he had just been beaten by a hundred clubs. He wondered if he would be angry in the future, because he had a vague feeling that he should be. The logic of it all was clear, even in the fog of his shock and dismay. Kazuko would never be his. Never. She belonged to another. How could she let him fall in love with her when she was already promised to another? But at the same time, he knew that their love had been impossible from the beginning. And perhaps he was angry with himself for ever allowing such feelings for her. Part of him raged with anger and hurt, and part of him spoke with a calm inner voice, saying that it could never have been any other way. He shoved these flashes these stabs of emotion aside and settled himself again into the cold, logical numbness. Lord Nishimuta's gifts and compliments had been nothing more than a show, 
a way to thank publicly the poor, penniless, masterless beggar, while doing nothing of substance, and making certain any complications to Kazuko's betrothal were removed. Then, with crystal clarity, he realized that his life was in danger. Lord Nishimuta, or one of his retainers, might well decide to remove him more permanently. He had to get away. He began gathering his things for departure. He looked up as one of the sliding doors wished aside, revealing Captain Sakamoto standing above him. Come with me. Captain Sakamoto's tone was carefully neutral. A sliver of ice pierced Kanishi's breast. Death was near, and he welcomed it. Kanishi stood, picking up his things, saying nothing, and instinctively began to measure Sakamoto's stance and carriage. Sakamoto led him back to the foyer of the manor house. Kanishi's heart beat like a smith's hammer against his breastbone, seeming to choke off his air. Sakamoto picked up Kanishi's traveling pack and thrust it toward him. Kanishi took it. The sliver of ice in his breast became a chunk of iceberg, crushing his ribs from within. Sakamoto then took Silver Crane from the rack, but did not hand it over. More than anything now, he wanted Silver Crane in his hand. He needed its strength. In the course of an hour, his life had become nothing more than a hollow shell. Kanishi's spirit reached out for his weapon, yearning for it in his hand, and he felt something strange, unexpected, yet familiar. The blade returned his call, like a distant voice across a chasm. Sakamoto gestured toward the open door. Kanishi's jaw locked shut, and his clenched fists could have ground a sapling to splinters. He stepped outside, and Sakamoto followed two steps behind. With each step down into the lamplit courtyard, Kanishi's stomach grew colder and heavier. Sakamoto stopped, and Kanishi turned, bathed in the lamplight from the house. Sakamoto held out Kanishi's sword. With the light behind Sakamoto, Kanishi could hardly see his face, but the man's voice was dead. Kanishi reached out, took his weapon, and slid it through his fine new sash. His clenched teeth would barely let him speak. I saved his daughter's life. That is worth nothing. What sort of reward were you hoping for? Her hand in marriage? He threw his head back and laughed. Kanishi said nothing, feeling his ears burning. Sakamoto's voice grew as cold as steel. Today, before you arrived, we received news that a Nishimuta clan vassal named Takenaga was slain in a duel in Uchida village. He was slain by a ronin matching your description. If you wanted to remain undiscovered, you should have had the sense to at least change your name. Kanishi's back stiffened. It was a duel of honor, and I offered Takanaga two chances to make it a non-lethal bout, but he refused. A flicker of surprise flashed in Sakamoto's eyes. So you do not deny it? I deny nothing. 
Sakamoto snorted with disdain. Then his voice rose. Takenaga was my friend and comrade. We fought many battles against men just like you. He was a great swordsman. He was preparing to open his own training hall. I was better, and that is why he lost. Why, you arrogant little cock, Sakamoto laughed again harshly. Be that as it may, you saved the life of my lord's daughter and brought her safely home. Saving her life purchased yours. For now, if you are present in the village at sunrise, you will be arrested and executed. Go now. Leave this province and never return. Three other samurai took places behind their captain. Kanishi turned without another word. He could not breathe. He could not speak. But his dignity would remain intact. The wood of his scabbard creaked with the ferocity of his grip. He walked into the darkness, the rubble of his dreams strewn behind him. A silent shadow shifted imperceptibly in the blackness between a storehouse and a stable. The shadow watched Sakamoto hand over the sword to the ronin. Yasutoki was amused to see that the ronin was close to exploding. Ah, the furious emotions of youth and their obsessions with love. So predictable, so easy to manipulate. The sword glinted with silver in the lamplight as the ronin clasped it. Then, Yasutoki's eyes fixed on the weapon. Something familiar about that sword. Silver cranes on the hilt, mother-of-pearl cranes on the scabbard. He stifled a gasp of surprise. How could it be? How was it possible? Yasutoki watched the ronin go and silently cursed that he could not follow. Even though he had retired to his room for the evening, an extended absence might be missed. He had to get back inside soon. How had a weapon like Silver Crane fallen into the hands of a young ronin like this one? How had it ventured so far? Did the ronin have any idea how many men would kill to have that sword in their possession? Did he know of the powers it was said to possess? How could he? For all of the ronin's formidable prowess, he was little more than an ignorant bumpkin. Now he had even more reason to seek this ronin. Recovering a weapon like Silver Crane, one that had been lost to the world for so long. A swirl of fresh greed and ambition formed in his belly, and he smiled. No. A ronin like this could not be allowed to despoil such a weapon. It must be returned to the hands of a true noble, a noble of the proper clan. He cursed again as the ronin disappeared into the darkness. He would find him. There was no question. It was only a matter of time. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy by Travis Heerman. Volume 2, Sword of the Ronin, and Volume 3, 
Spirit of the Ronin are available now on your favorite audiobook platform. Please visit TravisHearman.com, look me up on social media, or send me an email. I would love to hear what you think about the story.